It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, June 5th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report takes a deep dive into the state's changing mental health care landscape. Then National Native News looks to Oklahoma where a high school graduation ceremony did not go as planned. We've got your local news and weather before KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Jason Lehman brings us his second installment on how extreme weather and fire affects agriculture in our region. He speaks with California State Climatologist Mike Anderson, Nevada County Supervisor Sue Hook, and Rich Johansson, fourth-generation farmer and the vice president of Nevada Irrigation District. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. State authorities say they'll investigate how a group of migrants from out of state were reportedly flown on a private plane to California, ending up at a church's doorstep in Sacramento. KQED's Daphne Young reports. The group of mostly Venezuelan and Colombian immigrants met with Sacramento's mayor, Governor Gavin Newsom, and Attorney General Rob Bonta on Saturday. Bonta vows to investigate how they were brought to Sacramento and noted that they were in possession of documents claiming to be from the state of Florida. Pastor Les Simmons is with Sacramento Act, a faith-based organization helping the migrants. None of us have dealt with anything like this. It's just 16 immigrants pretty much being dropped off, flown, misguided, misled, and in the words of Steinberg, trafficked to, to Sacramento. Over recent weeks and months, immigrants have been bused from Texas and Florida to other U.S. cities like New York and Chicago to draw attention to U.S. immigration policies. For the California Report, I'm Daphne Young. For the rest of the show, let's turn to big changes coming to how California treats its most severely mentally ill, which we'll be covering from various places in the state on the California Report. Last week, we looked at San Francisco. Today, I explore the issue in Los Angeles, and we begin in the city's Skid Row neighborhood. It's a place where the sights and sounds of people in conflict and crisis because of their mental health problems can be constant. But in calmer moments, Skid Row is also a place where people will speak candidly about the mental illnesses that have defined their lives. People like Zenobia, who didn't want her last name used. Um, I'm manic depressant, bipolar with severe psychotic features. It's these kind of serious mental health problems that California's new care court law is supposed to tackle. Beginning this year, some counties in the state will start creating new kinds of mental health courts. Ultimately, all California counties will have them. In these courts, people who have the most serious untreated mental health problems, like schizophrenia and psychotic disorders, could be ordered by judges to receive treatment and medication even if it's against their will. Lisa Wong, the director of L.A. County's Department of Mental Health, says the need is huge in Los Angeles, the epicenter of California's mental health crisis. Definitely. I mean, I think just looking at our numbers, it's staggering. So our estimate is that L.A. County alone is probably going to get 7,500 petitions, resulting in 6,000 people who will qualify for care court. And Wong says those thousands will benefit from the kind of help Care Court is supposed to provide, carefully tailored and intensive mental health treatment for up to two years. But critics like Kath Rogers of the ACLU of Southern California aren't convinced. We don't need more deprivation of liberty for folks with disabilities. Um, that's going in the wrong direction, not the right direction. 
The ACLU and disability rights groups worry care court will violate people's rights to due process and privacy and perpetuate a stereotype that the seriously mentally ill are so resistant to help they need to be forced into treatment. It's based on a a myth um, that they're service resistant. And service resistance is largely a myth. And so rather than having a new civil court bureaucracy that's going to traumatize folks who are already vulnerable, we need to invest in things that work and that really help people. But Harold Turner, the director of the L.A. Urban Chapter of the National Association of Mental Illness, whose own adult daughter is mentally ill, says criticisms of care court are too academic and detached from families' real-world experiences with mental illness. You know, I talk to families who would be happy as hell if they could get their family to even care about their rights. They're not thinking about that kind of stuff. You know? They don't care about their rights. They're too busy making life miserable for their families, virtually holding families hostage in their house. And what about the people who actually have a serious mental illness and who might be candidates for care court? Back on Skid Row, people have different opinions. Zenobia, who we met earlier, says she likes the idea of care court, including, if necessary, compelling some mentally ill people to get treatment. See, they're not mentally capable of making the decision of whether they need help, and who wants to need help for being mental? Nobody. It's a feeling. So, of course, you're going to say no. But I think that um, if they are really that far gone mentally, that they should step in and intervene. But a Skid Row resident who calls herself Ruby, who's also wrestled with her own mental illness, worries about care court's potential to abuse people's rights. We don't want people coming through and just, you know, gathering everybody up in some sort of cattle call. If you want to help people, if you want to offer them the help and really offer them good services, you'd be surprised how many people will be more than happy to jump on. But whether they're against or for care court, just about every person I spoke to on Skid Row had concerns about L.A. County's ability to actually implement it. Some of those concerns are shared by Lisa Wong, the director of L.A. County's Department of Mental Health. For one, she's worried about finding enough trained counselors to get care court fully up and running. We have scoped out like basically what we're going to need in terms of staffing Um And I have to admit, it's a little intimidating. We're going to need like probably, you know, anywhere from six to 800 staff to be able to do care court at the volume we anticipate. Along with those staffing challenges, there are also questions about finding housing and legal representation for the indigent mentally ill who are placed in the care court system. Meanwhile, the clock continues to tick down to December 1st, the date when Los Angeles County has promised the state it will have its care court program ready for its first cases. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org backslash lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org.
And that is the California Report for Monday, June 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember to subscribe to the California Report podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Graduation is usually an occasion filled with celebration for families and students alike. But Oklahoma teen Lene Black's graduation at Broken Arrow High School did not go as planned. National Native News has more with the story. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. It's approaching the end of graduation season, and for many Native students, being able to wear traditional regalia or items is important as they graduate. This year in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, a graduate wanted to do just that, but she says educational staff took her cultural item and damaged it. Now the student is pressing charges. Hannah Bissett has more. For Lene Black, her graduation at Broken Arrow High School was something she was anticipating with her eagle plume attached to her cap where a tassel would be. On the day, Black says she saw several staff who had no issues until one teacher stopped her. Black says the teacher told her she needed to remove the eagle plume. And when Black explained, the teacher allegedly started to yell and attempted to pull it off her cap. At that point, Lene actually ended up sort of falling or collapsing to the ground. Um, Because everything was pinned to her her cap and then her cap was pinned to her hair, she actually ended up being the one to to take the cap off in an attempt to protect the plume. That was one of the people on Black's legal team, Morgan Sanders. Sanders works for the Native American Rights Fund, who is in partnership with Pipe Steam Law. The lawsuit brings a claim on the conduct towards Lene and her First Amendment rights. In Oklahoma, a recent law was vetoed by the governor, That would have prohibited discriminatory graduation dress codes and make the language loose for all students who have different cultural backgrounds. The right to decorate one's cap and gown with their cultural items is one that has been tested in recent years, not only in Oklahoma, but across the country. According to NARF, 11 states have laws explicitly stating the rights of cultural items at graduation. Sanders says that if the lawsuit goes to trial, the proceeds could continue within the next year. The Broken Arrow School District did not respond by deadline for comment about the lawsuit. I'm Hannah Bissett. Indigenous women were featured on MSNBC Sunday night. Alyssa London, Clinkett, an MSNBC contributor, hosted the one-hour special. She's a former Miss Alaska USA and is hosting a four-part series called The Culture Is, highlighting women from Black, Latina, Asian, and Pacific Islander, as well as Indigenous cultures. The Culture Is, Indigenous Women, features a roundtable with seven women. London guides the conversation, an experience, she says, is hard to describe. Pretty surreal sitting there with the seven trailblazing Indigenous women who it is difficult to even get one of them in the room. I just felt respect for the position I was in and a desire to do a good job and also a lot of just trying to be present and appreciate each of those moments. Some of the topics on Sunday's program included boarding schools, missing and murdered Indigenous women, and Native identity and stereotypes. The show is now streaming on Peacock.
The El Pueblo Council of Governors, which represents 19 pueblos in New Mexico, is celebrating the Department of Interior's decision to protect a sacred landscape in the state. On Friday, Secretary Deb Holland took action to protect cultural and historic resources surrounding Chaco Culture National Historical Park from new oil and gas leasing and mining claims. The new order withdraws public lands within a 10-mile radius of the park for 20 years. The Interior Department says the action included significant consultation from tribes. All Pueblo Council of Governors Chairman Mark Mitchell called the action a resounding triumph for their communities, sacred lands, and future generations. The withdrawal applies only to public lands and federal mineral estate and does not apply to minerals owned by private, state, or tribal entities. Navajo Nation allottees can continue to lease their minerals. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services announced their Roadmap to Resilience and the Community Wildfire Protection Plan, or CWPP, update at the May 23rd Board of Supervisors meeting. The county says the Roadmap to Resilience will include planning efforts around wildfire protection, hazard mitigation, and evacuation. The CWPP will assess Nevada County's wildfire hazard and wildfire risk, as well as prioritize areas for multi-benefit wildfire risk reduction actions. The aim is that the Community Wildfire Protection Plan becomes an integral collaborative planning tool for prioritizing wildfire risk reduction activities throughout the county. In order to streamline the school, the counties released a survey asking residents to help define wildfire resilience. The survey, which is available in both English and Spanish, will be accessible online through August 31st. It can be found on Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services webpage, Facebook, and Twitter. Earlier on the newscast, we heard the California report address the plane carrying 16 migrants from South America, which landed in Sacramento on Friday. According to Sacramento County spokeswoman Kim Nava, a second plane reportedly carrying 20 migrants landed in Sacramento this morning. The Sacramento Bee reports that Monday's flight used the same plane as Friday's private charter, operated by Texas-based Barry Aviation. In an interview with ABC News, California Attorney General Rob Bonta says the migrants on Friday's flight arrived in Sacramento carrying release documents indicating the flight was part of Florida's program for relocating unauthorized migrants to other states. As of early Monday evening, no politician or organization has publicly taken responsibility for the flights. Bonta, however, is already blaming Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and says he's preparing to file charges for the stunt. 
Bontis says those charges could include false imprisonment and kidnapping, as well as violations of California's unfair competition law. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 57 degrees. Tuesday, increasing clouds with a high near 73, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly before 2 p.m. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight scattered showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 45 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 72, scattered showers and thunderstorms mainly after 2 p.m. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 58 degrees. Tuesday, a small chance of showers before 7 a.m., mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 78. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up next, KVMR's Youth News Corps reporter Jason Lehman brings us his second story in his series on extreme weather, fire, and how all of it affects California's agriculture. Jason speaks to California state climatologist Mike Anderson, Nevada County Supervisor Sue Hook, and Rich Johansson, the Vice President of Nevada Irrigation District. Putting it simply, California is complicated. It's the most biodiverse state in the U.S., the fourth largest economy in the world, and is home to 12% of the United States population. However, you can't look at California without recognizing its agricultural importance. 46% of the United States food production comes from California, and when you take a closer look, it's easy to understand why. The Golden State's greatest treasures lie not hundreds of feet below the ground, but within the soil above. California's fertile landscapes gave way to a flourishing agricultural industry. For decades, California's farmers worked the land to produce a wide variety of goods, and for decades, California's Mediterranean climate allowed for this. However, Relying on a known past does very little when grappling with an unknown future. The climate is changing, so agriculture must too. I spoke to Mike Anderson, California state climatologist, to learn more about what past we're even relying on and what future we're predicting. Historically, we've had snowpack uh, that develops between December uh, 1st and April 1st. April 1st is historically being on average when we Snowpack peaks and begins the mouth season that goes from April through July. California relies on its prominent wet season to ensure that the state has enough water to last it throughout the year. And full of the large atmospheric rivers to really form the foundation of our water supply for summer. Uh, it really depends on the characteristics and how they manifest themselves over northern California. But how do these weather patterns affect the agriculture of our area? When I look at the fire, how we model that, I think that's important. How you graze your land, that's really important. How you use vegetation management, because then if you do have dry grass, what we want to do is keep it out of that elevated space. So you, if you keep everything trimmed up, we give the firefighters the ability to come in and put it out. I think that's really important. Supervisor Sue Hook is familiar with the ins and outs of ranching. The Robinson Family Ranch has existed in our community for decades, evolving along with it. I spoke to her asking what impacts extreme weather and fire have had on her operation. Um, so we have a plan. We, we keep in place because there are fires. That's an unfortunate thing. Um, we create the ability for the firefighters to come there and stop it too. So that's, that's something that we work on. 
And there's always work to be done. That's the wonderful thing about the Natural Resources Conservation District. The impact of cattle on the land can bring a lot of positives, including fire management. Fire danger and weed abatement, a lot, actually. And um, there's a lot of things about the cattle you'll see, whether it's in the mountains or in the um, lower hills, is the amount of um, the ecosystem that actually thrives on it. A lot of vegetation... They they actually thrive on being managed, and yeah. if you don't follow up, yeah. it's like they've had fertilizer and they just want to keep growing. Like oaks, especially scrub oaks, for goodness, you can cut those down, and in two years, they're higher than the day you cut them. Yeah. Blackberries, another one. No, not a native species, no less. Water storage is also a massive issue. I don't see any water on our farms and ranches being wasted. That's Rich Johansson the vice president of the Nevada Irrigation District, or NID. There is a significant amount of carbon sequestration going on in our, in our oak woodlands, in our, you know, we're doing our pastures. Not only is Rich the vice president of NID, he's also a fourth-generation farmer in our region. The six-month irrigation season, but with climate change, we may have to go to eight months. We, we, we need to at least plan for that because October 15th comes, no water in the canals. We need at least until November 15th. And that all comes out of storage. Whereas if we started instead of April 15th, we started March 15th on a dry year, that would not necessarily come out of storage. It could come off runoff. During those wet periods, we received about 40% more water, rain. And now it's going to be a drop. So even with El Nino, and this year, it looks like we're going into an extended dry period. Our state is seeing change. But that's not a new thing. For decades, California farmers have evolved with the landscape. And they'll keep doing just that. From freezing to fires, they really have seen it all. Our state is entering a new era. And the agricultural industry is seeing it firsthand. However, this is not their first rodeo. I've been Jason Lehman with KVMR's Youth News Corps. To learn more about farming and ranching within the Sierra Foothills, you can find my extended interview with Sue Hook and Rich Johansson on kvmr.org. The KVMR Youth News Corps is funded by AJA Video Systems, a privately owned global video technology company based in Grass Valley, California since 1993. AJA Video Systems is deeply dedicated to Grass Valley, Nevada City community, recognizing the need for investment in youth and education initiatives. That's our newscast for Monday, June 5th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Nevada County Fairgrounds in Grass Valley. Tickets are now on sale for the 2023 Nevada County Fair in August, offering family fun, entertainment, exhibitions, midway rides, and traditional treat street fair food. More information at nevadacountyfair.com. And Habitat for Humanity Restore, selling repurposed home improvement, building materials, furniture, appliances, and hard-to-find unusual treasures. Accepting donations with pickup services available. Open Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. nchabitat.org Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.